0: When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, "I, who speak to you, am he." Just then his disciples came back. They marvelled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, "What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her?" So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, "Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ?" They went out of the town. They went out of the town and were coming to him. The gospel of the Lord.
1: As we prepare to hear from God's word, I invite you to bow your heads one more time as I share a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am so excited to share this message today about uh, our people, our church, going together on mission. Uh, We've been working our way through our four core values or rhythms as a church, and those four values, again, are we gather together, we grow together, we give together, and we go together. And as I begin today's uh, message, let me begin with this question. Have you ever been so excited that you cannot contain it? Have you ever been so elated that you just can't sit still? You can't contain it. A couple weeks ago, I shared about how I asked my uh, wife to marry me. And fast forward uh, several months later, we get married, and we just couldn't uh, contain our excitement about being married and no longer living in dorm rooms you see I was 20 she was 22 when we got married we were in Chicago and uh, we just said hey let's let's just start inviting friends over uh, to eat and to play rook or spades anyone play rook or Spades in the room anyone remember those games I might be dating myself nonetheless we invited people over and looking back it's kind of embarrassing to think about what our apartment looked like in those days because uh, the first thing uh, I remember is we actually had a, a couch we, we found on the side of the road in Chicago. And we just thought, this is an amazing couch. It's free, and it looks pretty good. It works for us. And so that's what you did in college, right? You got these cheap couches. Well, we just, we, we continued, you know, that trajectory. And The, the other thing I, I noticed or recall is we made homemade furniture out of wood. The problem is neither of us have any idea still to know how to make furniture. So we went to, like, the Home Depot, got a handsaw, (laughs) nails, and a hammer, and just started cutting and nailing things together. Awful-looking furniture, just horrendous. And as wall art, uh, we didn't have a comforter our first year. We slept on a futon with sleeping bags. True story, because we were kind of quasi-hippies. So we just put two nails on the wall and hung our sleeping bags as decorations. Um... (laughs) And then, of course, who here, as a young person, once you graduate college, I don't know what happens, but you, you feel led to adopt a dog? So like, right? Can I? Yeah, right? Who, who, who's done that, right? All of us have done that, right? Not all of us, but anyway, we adopted this beautiful husky that was so mean, it would bite you all the time. <laughs> but we, te- we kept making excuses for it. And last but not least, back in the day, they didn't have flat screen TVs. They had tube TVs, these boxes, right? We didn't want to splurge. Frankly, we didn't have any money, obviously. So we got like a 13-inch tube TV. And uh, and we would actually, on date nights, we'd, we didn't have cable or anything. We would go to this place called Blockbuster. You remember that? It was part of the date night. You get in your car. You get a Blockbuster. You look for videos or whatever to rent. And you come home and you, you put them in. Well, I remember this one night. We had our tube TV. We had our couch and our stray dog. And we invited some friends. Hey. And uh, listen, they, they're, they're watching on this 13-inch tube TV, and they finally turned to me and they said, hey, do you mind if we scooch the couch up just a little bit so we can see the movie? <laughs> and it, I think it dawned on me um, at that point, I was like, maybe this isn't so awesome. But it was awesome for us, <laughs> right? Have you ever been so excited you just can't contain it? That's what we're seeing in this passage in John 4. I think the main point is this. When the love of Jesus breaks into our hearts, it breaks out in our lives. When the love of Jesus breaks into your heart, it will break out in your life. And we're just going to look at this in kind of two points. Point number one, when the love of Jesus breaks into our hearts, we read earlier, so he, Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The first thing we notice in this passage is that Jesus comes to break down our barriers. He came to this woman to break down her barriers, and he comes to us to break down our barriers. She specifically was dealing with three barriers. First was her nationality. Second was her gender, and third was her morality or lack thereof. Nationality. In those days, there were Samaritans, there were Jews, they're from the same ancestry, but according to theologians, they had a murderous hatred towards one another. In fact, if a Jew who was going to worship came across and touched anything that a Samaritan touched, that Jew would be considered unclean for worship, okay? Uh, I came across this old uh, quote from a rabbi from those days. Let no man eat the bread of the Cothites, which is the Samaritans, for he who eats their bread is as he who eats swine's flesh. This woman would have been hated because of her nationality. Secondly, she would have been rejected because she was a female. In those days, females were, frankly, considered second-class citizens. They weren't not considered a witness in the court of law. Uh, Here are some other ancient quotes I came across. A man shall not be alone with a woman in an inn, not even with his sister or his daughter, on account of what men may think. A man shall not talk with a woman in the street, not even his own wife, especially not with another woman, on account of what men may say. Pretty harsh. Another quote. He that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is the land of the wicked. So she had the barrier of nationality, the barrier of gender, and last but not least, the barrier of morality. Did you catch where and when she was coming to draw water from the well? What time of day? Noon. Let me tell you, that's not when women come to draw water from a well. If you look at the Old Testament, Rebecca, for instance, they came at dusk to draw water from the well. Historians would go on to teach us that this well wasn't the closest well to her home, to her town. So this woman went way out of her way in the middle of the day to not be seen. Um, She wanted to be anonymous. Why? Well, in in this dialogue, it's revealed that she had immorality or some struggle in her life. She had had five husbands and was living with another man. And yet here's Jesus at this well at noon. And he says to her, Miss Samaritan woman, can you give me a drink? Frederick Beekner, excuse me, F.D. Bruner, wrong author, F.D. Bruner, theologian, has this to say about Jesus. Jesus so naturally and simply breaks down all unnatural and inhumane barriers one by one until finally at his death, the greatest barrier of all, sin itself, is leveled. Jesus is the great barrier breaker. So here's the implication for her and for us. There is no barrier around you that can keep Jesus from you. There's no barrier in your life that can keep Jesus from you. For some of you, you might be struggling with a bad habit or an addiction and say, that's going to keep him from me. No, he'll break down that barrier to come to you. Some of you, I know, marital struggles You've just come through a divorce. I'm not good enough. He wouldn't come to me. He comes to you. Whatever your barrier is, it's not too big that Jesus can't break that barrier down and break through to you. But he doesn't just break the barriers down. He brings God's love with him. Notice how Jesus approaches the woman through questions, not condemnation. Can you give me a drink? And at this point, he's going to be ceremonially unclean. He's risking it all. It's a scandalous scene. But he says, can you draw water and can you give me a drink? He's not the bullhorn Christian that says, you know, beware. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? No, he builds, he fosters, cultivates connection with her. And it doesn't go unnoticed. And beyond cultivating connection, he then exposes her longings while not dismissing her choices. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What he's saying to her is, Are you thirsty for more? Or is your life all worked out? Are you thirsty for more? He asked her, but I I think it extends to us. Chris, are you thirsty for more? Tyler, are you thirsty for more? And he's cultivating this desire, this existential longing. C.S. Lewis has this to say about some of our longings and our choices. And as they dialogue, he's cultivating that thirst, that deeper desire for more over and over and over again. And this wouldn't have been lost on her. Why? Because in the Old Testament, over and over again, the the Israelites are called to thirst for a Messiah, a deliverer, a healer, God with us. For instance, Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Isaiah 12, in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God's my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the woman finally says, hey, I know this. I I I hear you. You must be someone special. You must be a prophet. And she says, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, Am He, and let me be very specific with the language here. He says, "Ego in me" or "Ego in my." Actually, in the literal, in the Greek, the word "He" is not even in there. He's saying, "I am, I am," or in our language, "I am He." And he's directly quoting, saying, "I am Yahweh." This is direct language from the Old Testament. I am he, I am here with you. It's scandalous, it's personal, it's so powerful. I am. Came across a story this week of Leighton Ford and Billy Graham. Has anyone heard of Leighton Ford in the room? Raise your hand. Anyone, a few people. Billy Graham, raise your hand. Okay, Leighton Ford, like Billy Graham, Uh, He's still alive, Leighton Ford. Um, He's an evangelist. He's a writer, and he does a lot of leadership development for Christian leaders. He and Billy were doing an open-air revival, sharing the gospel. And uh, it turns out Leighton was first up. And so the first night, he was up front preaching. All these people were present. And Billy Graham decided to sneak into the back. Okay? So he puts on a hat puts on dark sunglasses, he sneaks to the back. And as Leighton's preaching, at some point, Leighton says, okay, now I'm going to invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you to declare and commit your life to Jesus if he's moving you to do so today, okay? And there's this elderly guy sitting in the back right in front of Billy Graham, and he's nodding. You can see he's, he's with the message, right? And he says, Leighton says, okay, I invite you to actually publicly to pronounce your faith by standing and coming forward and I'll pray for you. And the guy kind of looks around. You can tell he's moved. He probably wants to come forward, but he just sits there. And finally, Billy taps on his back and he says, sir, are you ready to accept Jesus? If so, I will walk forward with you. And the guy considers it and he says, you know what? I'm going to wait till tomorrow night when the big gun shows up. (laughs) Jesus is saying, the big gun has shown up. I am he. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come to break down the barriers and to set you free. I bring God's love and it is lasting. It is a game changer. And so then what happens? Well, we see when the love of Jesus breaks in, it then breaks out. What's the woman do? Passage goes on. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. She said to the people, come, see a man who's told told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way to him. How do you know when the love of Jesus has broken into your heart? It's when you move from a place of shame to a place of sharing. How do you know when Jesus has captured your heart? It's when you move out of that place of hiding into that place of celebration and sharing. And what's so cool, if you pull back the veil on the Bible, what happens here? is she then becomes a model for discipleship and the disciples. You fast forward, Jesus ends up going to the cross, there's the resurrection, and then he says to his disciples, hey guys, circle up, pray together, and then you will receive the Holy Spirit and we'll have a mission for you. Specifically, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's the thing. The first several chapters of John, Jesus takes this route. And he's here in Samaria. And the woman responds. And and basically, Jesus is like, be like her. It is unbelievable. The person who's least deserving of this grace and this love, she's the one who goes as really one of the first missionaries. And the disciples would then follow. (laughs) It's amazing. So what happens as a result of her sharing? Well, the passage concludes, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We now know for ourselves that this man really is the Savior of the world. And what's so profound, this is the first time that phrase is used in the Gospels. Who's sharing it? Who's proclaiming it? The Samaritans of all people are saying, this is the Savior. You see, the implication here is clear. God wants to use all of us to love all of the world. He wants to crush barriers in our lives and in our world and bring God's love. And he wants to use all of us to reach all of them In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, therefore, go. Make disciples, make believers, which means learners. Make learners. People know this message, this good news, of all the nations, which literally means all the peoples. Go. So, in summary, when the love of Jesus breaks into our hearts, it breaks out in our lives. When the love of Jesus breaks into our hearts, it breaks out in our lives. So as we uh, end this message, three applications. First, ask: Are you thirsty? Is anyone here uh, having their heart your, their heartstrings pulled right now? Are you thirsty for more? Maybe you've never cried out and said, "I need, I believe, please fill me afresh or anew." Give me this living water. Or maybe you're just someone who's struggling right now. Jesus says to the woman, if you would just ask, just ask. It's a gift. You don't have to earn it. There's no barrier that can keep it back. So application number one, are you thirsty for more? Ask Jesus to come into your life. Application number two, share. If you feel that you're not ready, you're not worthy, equipped, perfect. You're absolutely ready, according to this passage, to go and share your story and your testimony that something's happening in your heart, in your life, around this person named Jesus. And it's happening in that community that gathers. Invite people in. Share. I want to do, I didn't do this at the first service, but here... I'm going to do it right now. I want you to close your eyes and I want you just silently here. God, would you reveal the people we're called to share the good news of Jesus with today or in the coming week? Show us their faces. And then point number three, application number three, you can open your eyes, is care. Care. For God so... Love the world that he sent. He came. Jesus came. Why? God's love. We're going to go because God's love compels us to go. Uh, What this means is not just an individual call. It's a corporate call for our church. We're going to be a church that goes together, not just in word, but in deed and with our finances. One of the things I'm very proud about is last year, uh, we stepped up and we devoted a huge chunk of our budget to living out local missions, global missions, and church planning. We did it. We didn't just talk about it, we lived into it. And one of the ways we're living into that is just this month, we were the primary sponsor for a racial reconciliation conference in Charleston. Tons of churches there and a conversation about the sin and the hurt between the black and white divide in our city. And and beyond that, uh, our staff, we've feel challenged to then build relationships uh, across racial lines. And so just this week, I invited an African-American pastor to have coffee with me. So we had coffee in Park Circle. And I just said, hey, I'd just love to know your story and become your friend. And uh, so he says, you know, here's my story. I was born a military kid. I was born in Germany. And really, the racial issue wasn't an issue in the military, we moved all over the place. And I said, well, what's it been like for you to live in Charleston? And he says, I knew I was in a different place when I was walking up King Street. Someone rolled down their window, screamed a racial slur at me, and spat on me. And I said, I'm, I'm so sorry. And honestly, I'm, I'm outraged on your behalf. I can just say for for myself and for our church, we've got your back. We're called to be your friend. We're called to be your ally and advocate in ministry in this city. And he says, Paul, you have no idea what that means for me. This church is going to break down barriers with the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue what God has already started and prayerfully hopefully launch a gospel movement that breaks down all sorts of barriers, helps encourage and equip all sorts of ministry. God willing, we can plant other churches in our city and in our world that brings God's love to those in need. So if this message has touched you in any way, I'm going to close with a word of prayer, and I invite you just simply to extend your hands in an open fashion like this. And I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we celebrate that you sent your Son to break down barriers on our behalf and to bring your love. Some of us are thirsty. And silently you can just say, I'm thirsty for you. God, pour out your living water in each of us here. That we would bring, bring, not just receive it, we would go with it. We'd become geysers of love. God, convict us, give us courage to share this message with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors. And God, may we be a people who care greatly for all peoples. Build your church, build this family, to be like Jesus, for it's in his name we pray, amen.